calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Howdy ho, junkies. Watch out, y'all. There's a new strain of COVID going around. And unfortunately, a real girl herself got it. She's kicking back for a few days with body aches, a sore throat, and fatigue. But I am watching her like a hawk. So everything should be cool. She should be back at the grindstone in a few more days. Shakedown, book one of the crypt, is coming October 2nd, 2023. I am pretty excited to bring this one to you guys. A lot of you have been waiting for a very long time to get this book, it will finally come out. The Sigler Ascension Day sale is almost over. It runs through Sunday, April 30th, 2023. The code Ascension2023 saves you 10% off anything that we sell. Write that down. A-S-C-E-N-S-I-O-N-2023, Ascension2023, one word. Get over to scottsigler.com slash store and start kicking around. See what you like. Now, I emphasize that word we to differentiate between the stuff that we sell and the stuff that we link to. For example, all the t-shirts on the site, we sell all of those so you get the 10% off. But the product page for Infected has links to the book over at Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. And right now, I don't got the power to get you 10% off in those places, but I'm working on it. All right, I'm working on it. But we can get you the 10% off all the t-shirts and the new PUV James Keeling mug, which is awesome. It's got a silhouette of the ship on there, the name of the ship on there. It's blue. It's awesome. We got small size, big size. Get over to scottsigler.com slash store and check it out. Let me get you caught up on the story so far. Then we're all going to go set the hourglass on its side so that time never passes. Previously on Slay. Billy is on the run from a handful of bounty hunters out to collect his head. Lincoln was one of those bounty hunters, but changed his mind and helped Billy escape from the people who want him dead. They fled to Cortis, a mysterious city in the supernatural realm known as the Patchwork. There, Lincoln sought shelter from, well, from Bingles and his fellow sex gnomes. And Bingles seems to think that Lincoln owes him money. Meanwhile, Butch and Money Monday of the Rolling Outlaws gang want to work with Boss Hog to collect the bounty on Billy, and they want to find out what happened to their friend, Big Hack. When Boss Hog drove his big-ass white pickup after Billy, Butch lost sight of him. And now, episode 17, 
of Slay. In a day full of bad feelings, Lincoln had his worst one yet. I don't know you money, Bingles. Dylan Cantrell paid you for me. Fuck you, Lincoln, the gnome said. If that hairless nutsack paid me, would I say you owe me? And it is hairless, too, all shriveled up and wrinkled. Looks like a pair of shelled walnuts held together by a broken rubber band. Billy winced. That's gross, man. Perfect. Just perfect. The goddamn kid had to go and say something. And who is this little twink? Bingles crossed his arms over his tiny but prodigious belly. Linky Dink, if you brought him his payment, consider us square. Me and the gang can tee off on him after we finish our beef stew and watch last night's Kimmel. Billy's eyes widened. Maybe he would learn soon enough. In Cordis, it was best to open your ears and your eyes and not your mouth. He's not for sale, Lincoln said, and you don't need to know his name. Seriously, though, Cantrell didn't pay you? You ask me that one more fucking time and I swear I'll start charging interest. And stop bleeding all over my fucking floor. You owe me for services rendered and you come here asking for a favor? You must have the swollen balls of an adolescent elephant with a trunk too short to reach his own cock to snap off. What's the favor? Lincoln didn't know why Dylan hadn't paid, but he hadn't. And there wasn't time to call him, get him to come down to Bingle's shop. Veronica could be tracking Billy down this very second. I need to use your transit totem. Bingles held a little finger to his little ear and bent it forward. What's that, Lincoln? You want to use my what? We have names for a thing in the shop, as you know full well. Lincoln sighed. <sighs> I need to take a ride on your big, girthy pole, please. That's better, Bingles said. You got someone chasing you. I can tell by all the blood and that pain look on your face that means either you got a broken rib or you're holding back a burrito brown trout that wants to swim downstream and spawn. If someone chasing you finds you here, it's 99 problems for me and your twink ain't one. In other words, little bitch, you pay 10 times what you owe or I'll put you back on the street like a used condom at Mardi Gras. Lincoln tried to remember what he owed Bingles for the cleanup after the Dimitri Vanko bounty. He couldn't. Numbers had never been his strong point. Deal, Lincoln said. Bingles stroked his beard. You better not fuck me on this one, Linky Dink. You got one week. You don't give me that money, you pay with a pound of flesh. And you know what kind of pound of flesh I'm talking about. I'm good for it, Lincoln said. You have my word. Bingles glared at Lincoln, then looked Billy up and down, as if Billy was a triple scoop of the gnome's favorite ice cream. I'll go prep the pole, Bingles said. Where do you need to go? Billy watched as Lincoln bent and whispered in the gnome's ear. The gnome's eyes narrowed, then he nodded. Lincoln stood. Good enough, Bingle said. That'll take a few minutes. Do you want to wait here or in the toy room? Not so tiny Tim just installed a new Swedish swing in there. Top notch. Feel free to use it while you wait. And Billy had thought that the train station's men room was a bad thing. Right here is fine, Lincoln said. And you keep that secret, Bingles, you hear me? 
Anyone uninvited shows up at my place, I'd rather not have to ask you, quite politely, if you're the reason why. Bingles walked to an open archway, waving his hand in front of his face as if to sweep away a fart. <laughs> a bitch says what? Don't worry, Lincoln. Your secret is safe with me. He stopped at the door, turned, and leered. That and any other secrets you might want to share. With that, the gnome went through the archway and was gone. So he's off to prep his big girthy pole, Billy said. Please tell me that doesn't mean what I think it means. You remember those pillars we came through when we reached Cordis? Well, Bingles has one here. Super rare for someone to own one privately. It helps him with his job. He, uh, likes to refer to things in a sexual connotation. I kind of noticed, Billy said. What's his job, anyway? Lincoln looked wrung out. Not quite on death's door, maybe, but just pulling off the highway and heading for death's neighborhood. Bingles is a wiper, he said. As in, he wipes clean scenes where people like me or Betty and Veronica, or Boss Hog, do their work. Bingles can make bodies disappear. He can fix up a place messed up by violence so thoroughly it's like it never happened. At all. Lincoln's head drooped. He stared at the floor. Word of advice, Billy. Don't piss off people who know how to hide your murdered corpse so it's never found again. Another gnome entered. This one younger, with a shorter white beard. He carried a small wooden box. He wore a plaid suit, but the crotch was made of leather with brass rivets, and it stuck out way ahead of him. Bingles told me you needed a med kit. Lincoln gave the gnome a nod. Thanks, Tim. That a new cod piece? Yes, it is, Mr. Franks. The gnome, not so tiny Tim, Billy figured, set the box down next to Lincoln. Do you like it? It's the height of fashion, Lincoln said. Or maybe the length of fashion, if you know what I mean. Tim tittered, put a hand over his mouth. Oh, Mr. Franks, you're too kind. He set the box down next to Lincoln. You need me to bandage you up? He waggled his eyebrows. Or do anything else that will make you feel better? I'm flattered, but no. Lincoln nodded toward the archway. Give us some privacy, will you? The gnome left without another word. Kid, Lincoln said, I need you to bandage me up. Just enough for us to get home. Home? Billy wanted to know where home was. Was that the secret Bengals needed to keep? I know, doctor, Billy said. I don't know how. Then figure it out. Lincoln pulled off his bloody gauntlet held up his ravaged hand. Now, please. Billy drew in a sharp breath. Holy shit. The cradlebat spike had driven through Lincoln's palm, down his wrist, and poked out the top of his forearm. Maybe this man had meant to kill Billy, but without this same man, Billy knew he would be dead. It was time to stop mouthing off and start helping. Billy opened the box, saw bandages, rolls of gauze, a dozen glass vials, dried bunches of plant leaves, and a few other things he didn't recognize, some of them moving a little bit. He tore open packages of white padding, wiped away the blood. 
Billy tossed the silk padding away, pressed new ones into the wounds. He took a roll of gauze from the box, started wrapping it tightly around Lincoln's hand and arm, fixing the padding in place. I got more questions, Billy said. Shoot. Okay, first, what is meshwork? It's what you'd call magic. Lincoln's eyes blinked slowly as he watched Billy wrap his hand and arm. There's this energy called filaments. It's produced by purblind people. Purblind is what you were before you did that dose of nurple. So purblind is the same thing as unenlightened? Lincoln nodded. Eh, it's close enough. Purblind are like sheep in a way. They produced filaments from their emotions. Love, hate, fear, terror, jealousy. Just about anything, I suppose. They have no idea this is happening. The enlightened who secretly harvest those fibers are known as spinners. And don't make a joke. That's what they're actually called. They're called spinners. They concentrate the filaments, turn them into fibers. Fibers are used to make simple spells based on these emotions, like a love potion or whatever. Billy started to wrap a third layer around the arm. Blood was already soaking through padding and gauze alike. Spinners sell their work to weavers, Lincoln said. Weavers combine multiple kinds of fibers into a thing called mesh and use the mesh to make the serious magic. Simple mesh work is kind of like a net, spread out, not tightly woven. The more complex stuff, I guess that's comparable to fabric, and the most advanced meshwork is its like a heavy tapestry, I suppose. It all depends on how much fiber goes into it. Billy used a pair of scissors from the box to snip the gauze. He pressed the end firmly into the wrap. It stuck without needing tape. That is crazy, he said. What about this patchwork we talked about? Are we there now? This city, Cordis. Is it in the patchwork? That's more complicated, Lincoln said. That's more like... Bingles walked into the room, little hands slapping his belly. Time to move, bitches, he said. My pole is greased up and ready to go. Let's move. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Big Hack ain't nowhere, Butch said. He texts you yet? In the passenger seat, Monday Monday, checked his phone. Nothing yet, Butch. I keep texting and calling. You heard me leave messages. He'd answer that call if he could. Which meant Big Hack could not answer. Butch felt tired as hell. It was almost eight in the morning. He was usually asleep by then. Nighttime was the right time for him. Mornings and afternoons were for losers. That was some crazy shit, Money Monday said. Those women drove their scooters like it was Mario Kart or something. Billy grunted in agreement, turned left onto fourth. They had skills for sure, he said. I never seen anything like it. They'd watched the blonde and the brunette hotties racing their Vespas through the street, chasing after the same Harley that Boss Hogg had gone after. Hogg, in his big white truck, and Butch, in his Chrysler 300, couldn't get through traffic like the smaller vehicles could. Before those smaller vehicles drove out of sight, Butch could have sworn he'd seen the blonde on the black Vespa swinging some imaginary sword at the Harley, and the Harley rider actually stand up on the seat. Call up the vid, Butch said. You catch the part where the biker dude did that stuntman shit and stepped over the guy behind him? Money Monday had leaned out the passenger window while they drove, capturing the insanity on his phone. Already looked, the vid ain't worth shit, Money said. It's all blurry for some reason. Can't tell what's happening. Too bad. Man, I could have made that go viral in a minute. That was a shame. Butch wanted to watch that scene again. That had been some crazy shit. Shortly after Butch and Money lost sight of the Vespas and the Harley, they'd lost sight of Boss Hog's big-ass white truck. Billy was a good driver, but he wasn't crazy enough to try and follow the truck's mad maneuverings. With no one left to follow, Butch and Money had gone searching for Big Hack. Hack should have checked in by now. No question. Check your text again, Butch said. Money shook his head. Still nothing from Hack. I'm pretty worried, fam. You think little B might have got him? Butch didn't answer. There was no need to. In a straight-up brawl, Lil B had zero chance of even hurting Hack. But if Billy had got his hands on a gun, all he needed was the guts to pull the trigger. In these days, finding a gun wasn't all that hard. I'll call the crew, Butch said. Get him out looking. For Hack and for that shit little bee. Man, my eyes are melting in my face, though. You feel me? Money put his phone in his pocket. Same here, he said. Man, I gotta get some sleep. Can you get me to my car? Yeah, I got you. He would drop off money, then call Maurice, Bulake, and the others to search for Big Hack, then head home to get some sleep. Butch pulled into the 7-Eleven parking lot. There, next to Money Monday's beat-up Camaro, was a now-familiar cracker-ass white truck. And leaning on the front bumper, in his blazing white suit and cowboy hat, holding a large Slurpee, was Boss Hog. Guess we can't go to sleep just yet, Butch said. 
He pulled into the parking slot next to the truck, rolled down the window. Boss Hogg stepped over, finishing a big, noisy sip of his Slurpee. Howdy, boys, he said. That little bee feller, I say, I say he got away. Maybe we can have us a little chat about how to find him again. Bingles led Billy and Franklin down several flights of stone stairs. Billy could hear strange noises in the building. Some sounded like lost souls crying out for help. Some sounded like wild animals roaring in pain or hunger. And some sounded like, well, like a bunch of little people in a high-pitched orgy. There were more than a few whip cracks. Billy hoped he would never again hear a tiny voice screaming, spank me harder, daddy, spank me harder, ever again. Finally, Bingles opened a hidden door set in the corridor's wall. Inside was a room that looked like an ancient prison cell. Walls of rough stone, dampness bordering on wet. In the center of the small room, rising up from the stone floor, was a black iron pole twice as wide as Billy. Runes covered the pole. Runes and simple, primitive images of people, animals, and what could only be demons. It's all charmed up for you, Bingle said. Remember, Linky Dink, one fucking week. Lincoln nodded slowly. I'm good for it. You better be, bitch. You better be. Bingles left the room, closing the door behind him. It clanged shut with a ring that sounded like a manhole cover dropped from ten feet up. We're almost out of here, kid. Lincoln put his non-wounded hand on the pole. Let's go. Uh, go where exactly? My home, Lincoln said. Come with me or stay here and hang out with Bingles. I hear he loves three ways with not-so-tiny Tim. I'm sure the three of you will have a blast. Billy couldn't help but thinking of not-so-tiny Tim's enormous codpiece. Hard pass, Billy said. You think I'll puke again this time? Probably not. You get used to it. Are you coming or what? Billy looked at the glyphs and images engraved into the black iron. Every single one of them looked like a thing of evil. He closed his eyes so we wouldn't see what he touched and pressed his hand to the pole. Lincoln felt like a can of chopped baboon ass. The kid had slowed his bleeding, but not stopped it. Lincoln needed Magda. She would fix him up. She always fixed him up. So your place, Billy said. That's somewhere in Cordis. No, it's on the normal plane. Maybe five miles from the train station. Lincoln saw the relief in Billy's eyes. This kid had seen so much in the past few hours, he needed some level of normalcy. He wasn't going to get it, but the idea was nice. You got a mansion, maybe? I don't suppose we'll pop out in your living room. Or maybe your kitchen? Maybe some snacks awaiting? The kid was handling his second transit much better than his first. It's an old church, Lincoln said. And no, we are not popping out in my living room. Bathroom again? 
Lincoln nodded. Bathroom again. Why bathrooms, man? Do you realize how weird this shit is? Lincoln closed his eyes, wished for the trip to be over faster. It's not all that weird to me, not anymore. As to why, isn't it obvious? Billy rubbed at his face with his hands. No, it is not obvious. I've seen a lot of movies and a lot of TV where people teleport here or there, or they have a Stargate or a weird blue phone booth or disappear in the middle of a fucking train station and no one seems to notice or pick up an old phone and get their asses saved in the nick of time. But you know what it's always not? It's not always a bathroom. It's always a bathroom with you. It's nasty, man. Lincoln didn't really have any energy to explain things, but if he didn't keep talking, he knew he would pass out. All right. A lot of enlightened travel between the patchwork and the surface. Because of that, I guess, transit points are almost all in public buildings that have, I mean, at least used to have, a lot of foot traffic. Bunches of people entering, bunches of people leaving. Bathrooms are a place in public buildings where anyone can go. No one notices, no one cares, all right? Billy mimed dialing a cell phone. He held the fake phone to his ear. Hello? Yes, House of Ideas? How about instead of a train station shitter, you use a private building? Yes, yes, that's right. A place that doesn't stink of peep and poo. Yes, you know what? You are right. I am very smart. Why, thank you very much, he mimed, hanging up. See how easy that is? The kid was smart but stubborn, sticking to what he wanted to know, not what was right in front of him. Would that attitude change? Lincoln hoped so. And soon, the kid wasn't going to make it. I didn't create this system, kid, Lincoln said. All I can tell you is what was told to me. Like I said, a lot of people use these transit points. You go into a private building where you're not supposed to be, someone's going to notice. Where there's a crowd, people don't pay attention to who comes and goes. It's like like the difference between walking through a football stadium on game day, one face among thousands, and someone walking into your living room while you're watching the game at home. Billy thought on that for a bit. All right, all right, I can see that. But why bathrooms? Why not, like, broom closets or something? Say someone sees you go into a broom closet, then they look inside, and you're gone. Or someone who works for the building sees you come out of a broom closet. Think those things might draw attention? But people saw us go into the bathroom together, Billy said. Man, this sounds so bad when I say it like that. But, I mean, it's true, though. They saw us and dozens of others, Lincoln said. Hundreds of others during the day. In some places, like the train station, thousands of others. When's the last time you went into a public john and watched one single stall for someone to come out? It's a bathroom, kid. You go in, you don't make eye contact, you do your business, you get out. The stalls are full, You wait till one opens, you go in, you do your business, and you leave. You stay in that stall long enough, a whole different bunch of dudes come in after you got there. Billy shook his head. Shook it hard. That is fucking stupid. I can come up with a dozen reasons why that is just fucking stupid. Lincoln sighed. All right, go ahead, go for it. Do you know who built the system? Of course I don't. Neither do I, Lincoln said. I don't know anyone who does know. So you make your PowerPoint for why this doesn't work, then you can go back to the patchwork and start asking around for who built these places. 
I'm sure whoever's behind it will be happy to sit down with you and discuss your critique. While you're at it, why don't you argue with the people who put airports and bus stations and train stations wherever the fuck those are? Because you don't approve the location. Stop bitching about it, because you aren't going to change it. Lincoln sensed the end of the transit coming quickly. We're almost there, he said. This is my home, kid. It ain't much, but treat it with respect, all right? Oh, yeah. Do you like dogs? Billy's eyes narrowed. Big dogs or little dogs? When it came to Dragon, that was a question with multiple answers. Little dog, Lincoln said. As long as it don't lick my face, I'm fine. Does your dog lick people in the face? Lincoln saw the transit's impossible white becoming more white, the absolute black becoming more black. They were almost out. Nah, Lincoln said. My dog would never lick someone in the face. Lincoln felt himself twisted a thousand different ways, broken into a million pieces, then slammed back together again all at once and found himself in the last stall of the men's room of the old stone church. We're here, he said. I'm not feeling so great, kid. Can you? Lincoln sensed consciousness slipping away. He fell, but he was out before he hit the ground. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.